So as you guys see this morning, we're a little short-handed. So you have to suffer through the Tim show this morning. And that's not what we want it to be about. Uh, I was excited, but for you guys to know how, how I am usually when I speak, I don't use an outline. So a lot of times before I'm getting ready to speak, I'm not up here. Most of the time before I'm getting ready to speak, I'm not up here. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going through my outline in my head because I don't like to get up here and be restricted to right here. The problem is I wasn't thinking about my outline at all. Just then I was thinking obviously about the singing. So you have to bear with me if I lose my place. I might not sound as fluid and smooth this morning, but that's okay. I told you the speaker's a little rough around the edges, so I gave you that heads up. We're continuing in our, our series in Mark. We're going to be in chapter 7 today. Just a few verses because Nick's going to continue in Mark chapter 7 next week. Uh, you could summarize what we're talking about this, mor- this morning in uh, talking about tradition and what God wants from us. And the funny thing about tradition uh, is it has a bit to do with the song we just sang. I'll tell you about my friend Jake. He's been hounding me to sing this song that we just sang for, for weeks. And because of my own preference and tradition, what I'm used to, I kept turning them down. <laughs> because, uh, so Jake, he, he has a music background, but he has some funk and soul that I don't have. Uh, and so on a trip to Colorado, he decided to download, what was it, Wow's Gospel? So the, the Wow's 30 top gospel songs. Not a CD I would ever look for. Uh, and he downloaded that, and he listened to that all, well, not all the way to Colorado. I hope not, for his family's sake. But he listened to that on the way to Colorado, and he found the song, and he said, Tim, you've got to hear the song. I said, yeah, where'd you find it? On Wow's Gospel Top 30. I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> And he said, no, you got to hear it. It's really good. And so he played it for me, and I'm like, yeah, I can never see myself doing this because of what I'm used to. And so the funny thing is every time I was with Jake for the last few weeks, he just starts saying, Tim, break every chain. Break every chain. He just keep reminding me. And so he kept sending me different versions of it. He really wanted me to sing this song. And so as I was listening to it, and then I started playing with it, I realized this is a pretty awesome song and the words started touching me in my own life what things I'm trying to accomplish and where I should turn to and because of my own reservations and what I'm used to and the kind of music that I want to play I wasn't open to my poor friend Jake's suggestion but when I could get past that I was able to see that there was this cool song here that we could do here on Sunday morning uh, and hopefully we'll continue to do the thing about tradition is we all uh, are products of the environment, church, family that we're raised in. And so there are a lot of things about tradition that's very good. Um, and so when we get up here and we talk about traditions and rules and values that we've developed over our life, it's not a negative thing necessarily. It can be a negative thing, and that's what we're going to get into. But we grow up, and, and the product or the environment we are in kind of shapes some of these things that we feel we should have a part of our life on a regular basis. And I've been a part of that. And so I want to get into this passage and then we can start talking about some of the ways that tradition impacts what we're trying to do for the kingdom of God, what we're trying to do in our own relationship with God, and what God truly wants from us. We're going to be in chapter 7. 
starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. This is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Let's open with some prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning here, Lord. It doesn't matter the numbers. We're just thankful for who is here, Lord. And I pray that as we're going through this, and I've been convicted of what we're looking at, Lord Jesus, that we would all, we all hear your words that you want us to hear this morning, Lord, and all this would do would bring us closer to you, Father. And I just thank you so much for this beautiful day, and I pray for the folks that aren't here that they would have a good time at Coronas and on vacation wherever they are, Lord. And just bless our time in your name. Amen. So as I was getting into this, I want to read these first few, uh, first few verses again here, what the Pharisees were, were doing. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. As I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, that's a pretty good tradition. Uh, washing hands before eating. That's not a bad practice to get in. I know Tracy Thomas would agree. She's a clean freak like myself. Um, and so the funny thing is, these disciples have not washed their hands, and they're eating. And somehow, I don't know how, I don't know how the Pharisees knew that they hadn't washed their hands. I don't know if there's a boy's room that they had back in the day that they're seeing who's ceremonially washing their hands or not. But what they're trying to do anyway is these Pharisees and religious leaders have come anyway to find fault in Jesus and find fault in his followers, his disciples. And so they know there's no way that we are supposed to eat until we have washed our hands. And so they see these disciples sitting there, and they've got an opportunity to call them out. What's up with this? They don't wash their hands. They're eating, and you're not following the tradition of the elders. You're not following these rules and regulations that we've set before you. One of the issues that I see when we look at traditions in our church, in our own lives, these values and rules that we've set for ourselves that don't necessarily come from the Word of God because a lot of traditions are based on the Word of God. But when I see that we get too caught up in them, that we find ourselves looking down on others for having different perspectives on traditions and values in the church and how we go about things. I can tell you, I, uh, in my 35 years of living, I've been in a lot of churches. I grew up in a Baptist church. My dad's a Baptist pastor. And so that's all I knew for the first 18 years of my life. Somehow, I ended up at Kansas Bible Camp 
which got me to Emmaus Bible College, which a lot of you guys know, uh, some of you might not, has Plymouth Brethren backgrounds, which this church, uh, not Creekside, but Cornerstone before Creekside, this also has some Plymouth Brethren background um, and deep roots, and they're steeped in tradition. And so then my wife and I moved to Colorado, and we visited probably three or four churches in our five years there. And so we're in an E-free church. We are in some non-denominational churches. I've visited Methodist churches, Catholic churches. I've seen a lot of different styles and traditions and preferences. Yes, there are some theological differences in a lot of these churches. But what I'm talking about was the differences in format and what they wanted to do, what they were comfortable with, things that don't necessarily stem from the Word of God, but what they wanted to follow. And a lot of them stick pretty tight to it, believe me. And, and you know, uh, all of it Baptist Church meets here. A lot of you guys was meeting here, and a lot of you guys came from there. I grew up in the Baptist Church. The Baptist Church has a lot different format on a Sunday morning than what we would. If I go to my, my father's church, um, there's going to be a lot more scripture reading, and it's a lot more laid out in a format. You go to the Catholic Church, it's a lot more laid out, and there's a lot more liturgy and different things like that. You go to the Methodist Church, and you're going to see a lot of different things. So the problem is, we have all these people that have their preference, and then we bring them together. They're like, I want this and I want that. And I've seen in our church, I've seen in other churches, people leave because they were offended by what somebody else preferred. I've seen churches split over tradition because what they... They valued above other things, got in the way of their ability to come together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, let's just move forward and figure out the best way to serve God together here. And so we can look at a lot of things that we've seen in tradition. Traditionally, we have it in our own church. We have different preferences in service. How We, we have two different services, one that meets here before this meeting and now this meeting. And so we have different styles and different preferences. That doesn't mean that somebody else's value in that, that service is, is bad. That means that's their preference. That's what they like. doesn't mean the same thing for us here. I've seen different preferences and style of music. Some like the traditional hymns. Some like contemporary. Some like gospel music. I've seen folks that have a preference to what you wear on Sunday morning. In fact, the very first Sunday that I ever spoke at Cornerstone, this was back in Johnson Middle School, I was sharing my testimony. And I remember it, it was a, a hard morning because I was sharing a lot of things that had happened in Karen and I's life a few years ago. And um, I shared and, whoa, Mark just fell. Not that Mark. <laughs> uh, I was sharing and it was a very hard morning for me to share and I went a little long, and, and, and so I was looking for some feedback afterwards. And I remember somebody that used to be one of the leaders here that's not here anymore. He came up to me, and I'm like, I'm ready for this feedback. And the only thing he said to me was, the speakers at Cornerstone never get up on Sunday morning without a collar. That's all he said to me. And I sat there like I, I was taken aback, like... It, it frustrated me that 
here I was looking for this wise guidance and counsel. Here, I heard your message, and this is what I want to tell you. This is where I want to take this. And all he got out of it was I wasn't wearing a collar on Sunday morning. Now, is it good to dress up for God? Is it good to, to have these preferences? Yes, that's who we are. Some like music loud, some music quiet, some hymns, worship music. Those are all preferences. The Word of God doesn't say you can only sing hymns. You can only wear a collar on Sunday morning. So the problem is when we get so wrapped up in what we're used to and our own traditions and values in the church, in our lives, in our walk with Christ, and we look down on others for having a different preference or a different take on that, then we can turn people away. I've seen it. It's funny. I just heard a conversation between two girls uh, at this pool I go to this week. And I was sitting there and uh, eavesdropping on their conversation. And they're talking about church. And they're talking about the two different churches they go to. And one girl's like, yeah, I really love this church. And the other one's like, yeah, I've been there. I really like it too. I love the speaker. But the problem is I can't get past the traditional church that I like. And so I'm sitting here listening. She loves the speaker, and she was excited about this church, but she can't get past the traditions. A lot of times, traditions can either push people away, can hold us back. So when we are looking down on others because of our preference, because what we believe the best way to do things, it can actually hurt the kingdom of God. I've seen many times in a lot of different backgrounds and I've probably, been, uh, I've probably been at fault in this myself. Because obviously we all have our own idea of what God wants to do here. And the sad thing is when we can't come together and find some common ground, all based on what we want. And that's to see more people come in here and find more people falling in love with our Savior. And so I challenge you in this first part of this, don't let traditions, values, and the things that we are so used to, the things that we prefer, get in the way of coming together and figuring out exactly what God wants. If we're not straying from the Word of God, that's my only caution to you. If we're not straying from the Word of God in how we figure out how God wants us to move forward, then we're moving in the right direction. The second part of this is, it's along the same lines. When we get so caught up in our tradition that we don't allow ourselves to expand our thinking. What I just said, to move forward. It holds us back. I heard a story about the Denver Zoo. Um, and I get a, I'm excited to share an illustration about my favorite animal, the polar bear. My kids were so pumped up when I told them I was telling an illustration about a polar bear. They wanted to be in here. Um, but the Denver Zoo, a few years ago, the very first polar bear they ever got was donated. Matt's going to laugh because I'm sharing a, a story about a polar bear. Um, but they said, we're going to donate this as long as, as soon as you can, you're going to build this big enclosure for the polar bear. So for three years, they worked on this, this enclosure for the polar bear, but all the bear had while they were building this was this three feet. Uh, all it had was room to move three feet to the right, three feet to the left. That's it. You could just walk back and forth for three years while they're building this enclosure. 
And when it was all done, it's this huge enclosure. Waterfall, pool, rocks. It had everything. And they're all excited to give this bear a more healthy environment to live in. And so they have this great ceremony to present the bear with his new enclosure. And they sit the bear in there, and what do you think he did? He started walking three feet to the right and three feet to the left. And three feet to the right and three feet to the left. See, we get so caught up in what we're used to in our traditions that it's hard to see past what, what we like to see what God wants to do further. We can't get past these things that we're so used to. And so we have lacked the ability to, to have a vision for what God wants to expand. God's not concerned God's not so concerned with our, our rules and our traditions and our values and our preferences as he is with our heart. I want to read this verse, and this is what stood out to me the most, and this is one of the most convicting couple of verses that I, in my life, that I've read in the Bible. Chapter 7, we'll start at verse 6. This is after the Pharisees called the disciples out for not washing their hands. And Jesus says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He, he doesn't just want us to, to live the life where we say, we go to church, we read our Bible, we pray every meal. We come here on Sunday morning, we sing these praise songs, but our hearts are far from them. See, the Pharisees, they felt like they had it right because they had all these traditions and rules that they were following to a T. But that was not what God wanted. It wasn't about them trying to follow every thing to be as good as possible to be able to attain eternity because their hearts weren't even connected with God their hearts were far from him and so he's saying he doesn't just want our words he wants our heart that's truly what he wants so when we get so caught up in all these things that we think are the best way of going about it but our hearts aren't in it what does it matter because what God wants from us is our hearts. I look at it like marriage. And I'm going to pick on the husbands because I am one. A husband can do as much work around the house to help his wife out as possible. And he can play with the kids. And he can even take his wife on some dates. And he can be as great of a person as possible. But a wife can see if his heart is not in it. If he's just going about what he thinks it takes to be a good dad and a good husband. The wife can tell if he's not engaged. And so the wife would care more than all these things that he's doing around the house and the dates he's taking her on and, and how great of a guy he is. She would care more if he was engaging her passionately. 
showing her that he loves her more than anyone else. That's what God wants from us. He's not so concerned with us checking off our list, and this is what we're doing. He's a jealous God. He wants our love. He wants our passion. He wants us not to focus on all these things that we can do for him. He wants us to focus on loving him. You know, following his commands, following the word of God, is not a prerequisite to loving God. It's what we do when we profess this love for him. We want to follow his commands. It doesn't get us to him. He's already come after us. So now that we love God, then we look at what his word says. Then we follow all these commands. Then we look at the traditions and the values of our church that, that we see is the best way to love God. But it's not the part that we focus on. The, fo- the part we focus on, that almost, almost said the wrong word there. The part we focus on is loving God. And that everything else that follows comes from a true heart. Because there's so many people in this room, and I'm not calling you, I don't know who you are, that are just here because that's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we're supposed to do is go to church. But you know what? I don't think God just wants you to come occupy a seat. I don't think that, I I think you could probably just stay away. He wants people that are here engaged that love him, that are passionate about him. And he doesn't care how dirty we are. He doesn't care if we're not perfect. If we were perfect, then what was he for, right? That we take away the sacrifice. He came to reach the broken, the lost, the ugly, the hurt. And now he just wants our hearts. God hit me with... uh, before I share this story, I'll share something else. As I was, I was studying this and I was looking at that specific thought, I, uh, I remembered something that happened when I was growing up. I was a part of this homeschool organization, <laughs> and it was a very conservative training group. I, I'm not going to say their name because maybe you've heard of them. And so my folks sent me there for a week of training in Indianapolis. It was the worst week of my life, by the way. Um, but another gal from our church wanted to be a part of that. So I guess you submit an application, and you have to list all these things. Uh, and I knew this gal, and she was solid, loved the Lord, passionate about him. And she was rejected from being able to come to this training facility. They wouldn't let her come. And so they, the parents called and asked, why was our daughter not allowed to come be a part of this training and they said, because she's too overweight. And I just remember hearing what my parents said, that that, that rocked, her name was Dawn, just rocked her to her core. Because the message that this supposed biblically-based, all for God, the message they sent to this girl was, If you're overweight, then God doesn't want your service. God is not concerned about 
our weight or our looks or, or how perfect we are. Like I said, he's concerned about our hearts. That's what he wants. The funny thing is I went. I, I saw all these kids there. I saw plenty of kids that didn't give a care about God that were allowed in because they were fit, because they fit the profile. That's not what God's looking for. And so God kind of put, a, put something in my life that really drove this home for me, as he always does. A few weeks ago, so for, for me, I said I'm a clean freak. And I have this rule with my kids that they can come and put their arms on me or touch me or, because they're very handsy, my kids, very affectionate, um, and touch my face and all, thing, all these things if they've washed their hands, if they've cleaned up, because my kids are really dirty. And so this happens a lot at the dinner table, all the time. My kids will never sit still at the dinner table. Sylvia is in my lap half the time. And so every time I'm just like, you know, the Heisman stiff arm with my kids here, trying to keep them from touching me. And I'm like, ah, it's gross, yuck. And I, and I would always tell them, you know the rule. You have to go wash your hands before you touch daddy's face. You got to go wash your hands before you touch his clothes. And I just, I, I know I've said, that's disgusting. Stay away, stay off. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying one of these mornings and I, I just started crying and and I'm thinking, wait a second, what is the message I am sending my kids? Only come to me. Only show me affection if you're clean. Because if you're, you've got dirty hands, I don't want it on me. How many times did I say, stay away, yuck, gross? And I felt horrible. And I was thinking, you know, in a few years, they're probably not even going to want to give me that affection. And I'm wasting all this time telling them to stay away because their hands are dirty. And so that morning, Kara wasn't up yet, so I went and I grabbed the two kids. And I said, see, I can't talk about my kids without crying. (laughs) And I said to them, I said, Daddy was doing some praying this morning. And you guys know how I always tell you, you can't come touch me or my face until your hands are clean. And they're both like, yeah, we know. <laughs> um, and I said, forget I ever said that. Forget it. I said, you guys can come show me affection anytime you want. You can touch my face. I can always wash. I can always clean my clothes. But if you guys want to show me love, I want that. And I kid you not, they both looked up at me and simultaneously... Bam! Both their hands were on my face. And they were just rubbing and rubbing. And they were so happy. I'm not comparing me to God in any way. But that's God with us. He looks down at me and he says, I'm not waiting for you to get everything right. I'm not waiting for you to be done with all the shame and guilt. I'm ready right now. I'm right here. You bring it to me and wrap your arms around me. Because I just want your love. 
I just want your heart. I don't know why he does this, but he rocked my world this last week. My, I'm the oldest of seven, now 11. My parents have adopted four more. They like kids. Um, and my brother, so it's me, my sister, my brother, my, my brother after me, um, has been struggling for a long time, and his marriage has been struggling. And we've known this, and, and my brothers and sisters all come to me, and they say, you got to talk to you got to talk to him, you got to talk to him. And they put all this pressure on me to try to fix this. I'll tell you something about my brother. He is truly, and I love him, and we have so much good time together, and we, we talk a lot of sports is probably what we talk the most. <laughs> um, but he's comfortable with me, and my, my brothers and sisters come to me because he doesn't respond very well to a lot of people. And my brother's the most stubborn person in the world. <laughs> and, and, and he has this edge about him. And he doesn't like rules, and he doesn't, and it's funny because he's a Navy man, and he didn't like rules. Um, but he'd been struggling with him, he and his wife, and we kept hearing that it's getting worse, and my, my family's coming to me, and they say, talk to him, talk to him. I tried to call him a couple times, but I didn't really pursue it very far. He never called me back. And so we were there last week with him, and, uh, and his wife was talking to Kara, and this is the night before we're leaving, and, and she told Kara that I think we're filing for a divorce. We've actually, we filled out the papers, we filed it. And I was just like, blown away. And so that whole night, you know, I'm watching their two-year-old son, and he's running to mom, and he's running to dad, and, and he's hugging them both, and he's so happy. And I'm looking at my brother, and that next morning I woke up, and I'm like, I've got to talk to him. I've got to get to him. And I felt like I just let them down because I hadn't been there. And so they live about 30 minutes away from my folks' house. And I texted him. I said, can you come early to church so I could talk to you? And he said, we're not coming to church. I said, okay, can I drive out there so I can talk to you? He said, do what you want. So I'm driving out there. And I remember I was like, how? I don't know what to talk to him about because he's so stubborn. <laughs> I don't know what to say to him. And so I'm just... I'm praying and I'm crying and I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to reach my brother who I feel is about to make the worst decision of his life. And I get there and I text him because I've been crying. I don't want to go in and see his wife and his son. Hey, just come out and he, he makes me come in. And so we, we finally get to the car and I just start talking to him about my own struggles, about my own marriage, about my relationship with God, about the ways that I've, I feel like I've failed. And then I talk to him about how I've failed him, that I haven't been there for him. And then I talked to him about how I perceive him, that just because he was different than the rest of us in the house wasn't fair, that he should be treated differently by my mom or other people. And that I see you as this strong person that I've always admired. And I said, the problem with the strong people is they have the chance to get hurt more than any others because they don't even see what's right there in front of them, and they can't acknowledge it. And I said, I don't want you to make this decision. I don't want you to hurt your family, and I don't want you to hurt yourself and regret this for the rest of your life. And so I don't know how to fix it, Jacob, but all I'm asking, whoops, I said his name. <laughs> That's okay, you don't know him. And if you're listening on this podcast, I hope you are. 
I was fearful that he would make this decision out of his stubbornness and he would regret it forever. And, and we're talking, but then he turns to me and he says, you know what? I feel like my whole life, our parents just fed us lies. There is no God. I don't believe in God. I feel like they just taught us that we follow these rules and these regulations, and he said traditions, just trying to be as good as we possibly can be, to put on this good appearance. And it was all for nothing because there is no God. And how do you sit there and try to talk to your brother who I know is so stubborn that I didn't know what to say. And all I could say with him is, okay, well, I said, I believe there's a God because I see, <laughs> I see his impact on my life. I see his effects in my life. And I know there's a God because I see him every day in my son. And I said, Jacob, all I know is I want you to be with me in eternity. I don't want my brother not there. And I said, you, you seek him out. You do whatever you need. You study. But I will be right here. See, Jacob's view of God was that he was this God that you had to follow all these rules and regulation and always be the best of the best to be able to get to him. I told him that day, I said, you're right. I don't believe in the God that our parents taught us. I don't. And you know what? Mom and dad don't believe in that God anymore. They believe in the one true God that is a loving God that doesn't say you have to meet this criteria to come to him. This is a God who will pursue you, Jacob, that will come after you, that wants your heart. And so I'm so sorry that you have believed your whole life that you have to work to be as best as you possibly can to even get to him. And throughout this week, he sent me a lot of texts. Most of it's just trying to break down the things that I believe in. But the last text I sent him, he didn't have a response for. And so we can just pray. But I told him it's not about us. It's about him. It's not what we can do. It's about what he has already done. How can we go from just being people that say we love God, that come to church and sit here and occupy these seats, to people who come here passionate about their relationship with God? How does that change? For me, it starts with looking at what he's done for me, the sacrifices he's made. And I want you guys to turn to Luke. Just for some reason, this passage always got me. Luke chapter 22. For me, I always 
and looking for something tangible that I can grasp onto. And what I want you guys to realize before we come and take the bread and the cup is the sacrifice that was made for us. A relationship with God. You know, we went back to this this marriage thing. Wives just want husbands that are passionately in love with them. And it's because we, we saw them as someone that we really loved. And they spent their time getting to know us. And out of a response, we wanted to love them. So we see the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And we see what he continues to do for us. And all that can do is bring our hearts closer to him when we truly see what has happened Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 39. (laughs) This is when I I saw, I think we have this picture of Jesus on earth when he came to be a man as this uh, superhuman being that could take everything, that he didn't have to actually experience what it was like to be a real man. When I read this passage, I see that Jesus came as a real man. So this does not water down the sacrifice that he made. It only makes it more real to me. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now look at this man. Do you think that they came and arrested him? And he's getting ready. He knows what's coming. He's about to go through all this torture and sacrifice and pain for us. He was real. He was a real man. I mean, the sacrifice was not an easy sacrifice. He wasn't given this superhuman strength to be able, he did not, he wasn't immune from the pain. It was real pain. And he's sitting here and he's in anguish and he's afraid. And, and he's praying, take this cup from me. And an angel has to come just to strengthen him before he's about to be led away to be executed for us. And it says he's, he's sweating. So you're picturing our father right there about to be led off to be executed for us. And he's sitting there and he's praying to God, take this cup from me. And he's sweating and he's in anguish. Because this was not an easy sacrifice. He didn't have that superhuman strength. It caused him pain. It hurt him. And that was done for us. How can we not see that sacrifice made for us and it impact our lives? How can we not? He was a real man who really gave up his life for us. Picture your father, your savior right there, sweating Scared, take this cup from me in anguish because he's about to be executed. 
for you. Only way we could get to him was through the sacrifice. How can our hearts not be engaged with that person? Because every other person we work so hard on our relationships with have let us down. And I'm not saying don't continue to work on those, but we've got a Savior right here that we can just ignore for a week until Sunday. And he has done more for us than anyone could ever think or imagine doing. And he continues to do that. He engages us all the time. And so what he wants from us is our heart. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. He said, I made the sacrifice. I saved you. You're my children. I want your heart. So don't get caught up in all these other things. It doesn't matter how ugly or fat or that you have a bad temper. I want you to come to me. I want you to engage me passionately. I want you to love me. I want your heart. That's what the message is. When we come here this morning and we take the bread and the cup and we look at the sacrifice that was made for us and we sing these songs as we close and the band can start coming up. It's an opportunity for us to look at our hearts and to look at our lives and to see if we are just folks that are occupying a seat here and just professing with our mouths like the Pharisees. Yeah, I love God. I read my Bible. I pray. I do all these things. But truly, our hearts are not engaged. Our heart's not in it. That we don't have hearts that are longing to be with our Savior. We're supposed to live our lives like every day is one step closer to our Father. And so my prayer this morning, maybe you had a crazy week. I had a crazy week. Lots of pain. Lots of hard times. Here's our opportunity because he says, come to me and lay it down. Give me your heart. So while you're sitting here and we start playing and you're going to take communion, I want you guys to be able to pray to God. Help me to see you. Help me to get past all this other crud that's getting in the way. And help me just to be connected with you. And then as we sing, small crowd here, I pray that we are singing more passionately from our hearts about our Savior than we ever have. And it doesn't matter who else is next to us. If you want to raise your hand, you raise your hand. If you want to sit and pray while we're singing, sit and pray. I want you to connect with your Savior this morning. Father God, I just thank you so much for Scripture and these words that have challenged me, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to challenge the rest of us, Father. As we go throughout our lives, not just on Sunday mornings, Lord, that we live for you. And that you would help us with that because we aren't perfect and we do struggle. And I just pray as we sing these songs that we sing to you from our hearts. That these are not just words. But they're what we truly mean. And so, Father, help us to be able to engage you this morning, Lord. Help us to be able to come, take the bread and the cup, and focus on that sacrifice that was made. 
Help us to see that you, you took on everything so that we could have everything, eternity, salvation. And so, Father, I pray that you, you're happy with what you hear from us as we offer our worship to you this morning, Lord. In your name, amen. bringing us here this morning. I pray as you send us out, Lord, that we would fully be engaged with you, Lord, that our hearts would all be able to connect with you throughout the week, not just here on Sunday morning, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Hopefully we'll see you next week.